Hello there, and welcome to another Sift Takers Snapshots podcast. I'm Will Pinter, and with me we've got Mr. Bob D. Hello. And Dan Slobodian. Hello. This episode, we're going to talk about netlisting. What is netlisting, Dan? Uh, So netlisting, I believe it came from card games originally, like Magic and that, where it was known as net decking, and it's basically just taking a well-known list that someone has been successful with and essentially copying it and using it yourself. And I think it got the name from, obviously, the internet because people post up lists and things and so taking them from there, hence netlisting. Okay. So when we talk about netlisting then, are we talking about copying the full list or are we talking about copying some of it, Bob? Well, I think it's, it's easy to confuse the two you can spot a an archetypical list, something, for example, with six or seven TIE fighters in. So, oh, yeah, TIE Swarm, you copied that off the internet. Or you could see, for example, a Boba Fett together with Guri in the fire spray and think, oh, yeah, it's Boba Guri, that person's got that off the net. But actually, I think that you have to be very careful before you, first of all, accuse somebody of netlisting or, and secondly, understand what you mean when you accuse them of that. And is it something that they should be embarrassed about? Because for me, first of all, there's, there's nothing wrong at all with looking at what's doing well and copying that and seeing how it works well. It's how you turn up for a tournament and, and the games you want to play are up to you. It's for an individual player to decide what lists are going to work for him at any particular event or even at a club night. It is not the opponent's job to sit there and say, oh, well, that list is perfectly legal, but I don't like it because I've seen it on some web page somewhere. And the follow on from that is that you, you've no idea when you see your opponent playing an archetypical list, how much experience they have with it. Maybe they're just trying to see how it works. Maybe they're trying to see whether they can get good with it. Maybe they're 30 games in and they're going to beat you up with it. But the fact that they have been inspired to bring those ships by something they've seen on the net, really, to me, my mind, is it's neither here nor there, really. And if you're going to start using the word netlisting, it is important to understand that there are a limited number of good combinations of ships in the game. Yeah, very I'm- true. I've tried netlists myself in the past, and it's mainly because I like a certain archetype. Now... With that archetype, it just means I want to try other archetypes or even try other people's lists so I know what I'm going to be facing. I mean, one list I could never fly and I didn't really, and was never well with, was any of the Imperial lists. Now, in paces or whatever it is, in 1.0, was something I could never get to grips with. I'm not an arc dodger. I'm, that is not my game. I'm a knife fighter, but I still need to know how these other lists do. So if I put that down on the table... Do you reckon people are judgy when when you put like something that's commonly known on the table, Dan? It's great to come up with your own list, but like people take an inordinate amount of offence if someone copy a list from somewhere, which I just I just don't understand. I've never really understood it. Like I listen to podcasts and things like that all the time in order to get inspiration. If I hear someone describe a combination of ships or upgrades, and I think that sounds interesting, why not give it a go? You know, I've never really understood the people who get annoyed when somebody does that. I also think it's a great way for new players to get into the game. 
you know, why bother spending months and months developing list building skills when you can just pick up something that you know is good and gives you a fighting chance straight away? You know, those skills can come in your own time once you understand what is good about a ship and what is bad about a ship. I agree massively there. I think definitely for newer players to build a whole list without really knowing the game, without really knowing that much about the mechanics and how to structure a list properly, I think you're right. And without knowing the meta as well, I think you're right there. And that's a good point. Ironically, I'm sat with you two and Dan. Obviously, you came up with a 100-point ray. Bob attributed it. That's a column, even though it was your list. And Bob went away and did well with it. So With a few refinements. It, well, it wasn't netlisting, Bob, was it? Yourself, like you said, you, you won't be offended if people do that. Obviously, you've done it as well and took Dan's list and did really well at a tournament abroad. It's not just for new players, it's it's for all players. I took the Spanish Nationals list and did really well with that. We all do it. I think you've got... You said something earlier, Bob, before we started recording. It may be all about the last 10 points. Understanding how points work is really important in the game. And if you're ever going to build a list, you've got to understand how points work. And the first thing is that one does not equal one. And what I mean by that is that that just because you stick 200 points of ship stuff in a list, it does not mean that it is going to be as good subject to player ability as another list, which also has 200 points of stuff in it. Because what you're looking to do is to make sure that the list either has elements that cover up weaknesses that some of the bigger elements in the list might have, or it can offer a variety of different attacks, or it presents something that is just a min-maxed list like the current Triple Upsilon build, which is difficult for anything to get through in the time and can still dish out some damage. But 200 points does not equal 200 points and one point does not equal one point. So you you have to get your head around that. It's very tempting to say, well, this ship costs the same as that ship. So in my list, it it is exactly as good. And then once you've got around that, you start to understand, I think, that the ships are broadly worth what you have to pay for them. But it's the little differences that make the difference between a potential hyperspace qualify winning list and a world's list and something you have fun with at the club. And it's not hard to spot now that Han is a cheap, very good value for money ship. But the secret is what do you put with Han? And then you can go really in, in one of two ways. You can either go for the more defensive R2-D2 list or you can go for the action efficient choice of Lando. But then you've got a whole load of points that need spending on the support. And there's loads of different options for that. And it was a conundrum that was never really solved in first edition. What do you put with Fat Han? We mentioned on the last show that George Delapina did super well with Wedge and Han. And you can see how Wedge can complement Han. It means that Han isn't getting plink, plink, plinked while the initial attack is going on because Wedge is the the more important target generally. Wedge can dish out some real damage. If you lose Wedge, you've still got a massive block of points in the list. And the two ships complement each other. But the skill in building that list is in what do you put with your fat hand. And the higher you go, uh, once you decide that, that you're going to spend, I don't know, 100 and 
96 points on three aggressors. The trick is, what do you spend the remaining four points on? And it comes down to making sure that every point in your 200 is doing some work. If you're paying for a bid, you've got to pay for a bid. You've got to need a bid. Even if you're just making your ship cheaper so it gives your opponent less points when he kills it, you've got to make sure that every point is adding value to the list. And I think that is demonstrated by the way that Lee is super popular at the moment. Lear at two points gives so many options to to rebel lists in terms of being able to target lock, fly away, flip around, focus, then fire a fully modded shot or get themselves out of trouble by doing a three sloop to put themselves at a weird angle, whatever it might be. Lear offers loads of options in those last two points. But you might instead be thinking that a trick shot is a good use of those last two points. And when you start to see how those decisions echo down the other 198 points in the list, it's the last few points where you can really make a difference. And when I see people carping on about netlisting, I think you're not actually looking at the fine detail of the list. What you're doing is you're saying, oh, yeah, loads of people have taken that combo of three, four, five ships. You're just copying them and you're not applying any thought. But actually... Even if that is the case, the skill comes in the the last 5, 10, 15 points. Yeah, and it it does. I mean, we've seen it in the past, not just in 2.0. I'm looking looking back at 1.0. Tom Reed and his brother with triple jump came back and just changed one upgrade to suit the meta and went there and wrecked things. Yeah, absolutely. So it was... I think in that specific case, it was all about sort of trying to get just one point below so that in the mirror match, you had the initiative bid. But just to talk about a little what Bob was saying, that idea of knowing what every point in your list is doing is perhaps one of the dangers of netlisting. If you take a list from the internet and you don't understand what every point is supposed to be doing, then you are not going to do as well as if you built the list yourself and you sort of fundamentally have an understanding of what's going on within it. I think we we seem to have all come down pretty firmly on the side of netlisting is not a problem at all. But I think it, it can hamper you as a player if you don't understand what it is that you are copying. Yeah, I mean, I can can 100% sympathise with that for I myself, when I first started playing, uh, we had a swap list night. I was given Tom Reed's double shadow caster list. Glitter stim, gyroscopic target, I didn't have a clue. Now, if I'd, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, if I'd have netlisted that, it would have told me that was an amazing list. However, Ketsu and Asage at the time... Uh, the only things I knew was Ray and Poe and a couple of, a few other ships, Ghost and Lowrick. I didn't have a clue what double casters would do. So, yeah, th- there is that trap where you can netlist and not have a clue what you're putting on your ship. I think we've got less of that in 2.0, less upgrades now and less to learn. But I think with the coming waves coming up, there's going to be a lot more of that and a lot more upgrades to start thinking about and having to look into and know. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel with 2.0 that we were only just settling in 
with the resistance and first order release when they changed the points. And actually, the points as, as originally released were only around for about four months, maybe even less than that. And that wasn't really enough time for the meta to fully settle. We saw the rise of the Punishers and we saw Scum and Villainy Lego being a thing in different parts of the world and also the, the Americans getting into their big shots out of Dash. But beyond that, the the meta for me had another month, two months, three months to go before it settled. Then we got First Order and then we got Resistance. So I don't think that the global community had an opportunity to get together and say, actually, this is the best list at the moment. And if it is the best list at the moment, what's the list that beats it? And is the list that beats the best list good enough to hold its own as it sides through the chaff? Well, and, we and we think, never got to that point. Do we think that's a good thing then? Because if, if metas aren't settling, then we're not getting back into the old days of triple jumps being a thing for days on end or months on end, sorry. We're, we're actually mixing up the meta constantly and it keeps people constantly on their toes. Does that not make for a better community and a better com competitive environment? I think maybe for a better competitive environment, but I'm OCD enough to get really upset about leaving a crossword unfinished. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, interesting. And that's how it feels to me. Yeah, it's interesting, Bob. I, I kind of agree with you that I don't think the meta had fully settled. But at the same time, before the points changes, there were certainly some combinations that were just head and shoulders above others. And oh, sure. while the meta itself hadn't settled, it was really just a case of finding out which of the five or six, you know, stupidly overpowered lists was going to come out on top. So I think now that the points have changed, we have a lot less of that. That now everything seems on a much more level playing field. And, and that makes me think that netlisting, which another description is looking at the available resources, learning about the game and finding out which lists are proving effective. Netlisting helps us develop the meta. It's a step towards solving the meta because there are, there's data available for, for tens of thousands of games. And that lets you distill that into saying, well, that player or rather that ship that upgrade is generally useless don't bother with it unless you've got something super new and clever to try with it and i feel that using internet resources to work out what lists are effective is a important step in in solving a meta and, and working out what the really good stuff is all in all we're all agreed netlisting is a good thing not necessarily a bad thing Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, then. So I'm going to cut it there and conclude the episode. It's been great speaking to you, Dan and Bob, and getting your thoughts on it. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Bob. Goodbye. And goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. You know what? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, so I thank you. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! <laughs>